0: Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. As a nation, we have yet to grasp the full benefits and unwanted effects of artificial intelligence. AI is widely used, but how do we know it's working appropriately? What prompted the Government Accountability Office, GAO, to develop an issue, an AI accountability framework? And what are the core principles that set the foundation of this framework? I'll explore these questions and so much more with Taka Arriga, Chief Data Scientist and Director of the Innovation Lab of GAO, and Steve Sanford, Managing Director, Strategic Planning and External Liaison at GAO. Uh, Taka, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Steve, welcome back. Hi, Michael. Great to be here. So, Steve, let me start off with you just to give some context the portfolios that you and Taka uh, work on with GAO. Could you tell us more about your role in portfolio and what you lead at GAO?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, currently the managing director for strategic planning and external liaison at GAO. And uh, in that role as a staff office uh, supporting the comptroller general, uh, we're in charge of a few things. We uh, help GAO think about the future and strategically plan for its future. Uh, We uh, lead the the development of GAO's strategic plan for uh, how we are going to serve Congress uh, in in our mission. I mean, as you know, GAO uh, is a uh, nonpartisan, fact-based analytical organization doing work for both sides of the aisle of Congress. And uh, one of the things we do in our office is... Uh, help plan what that uh, portfolio of work is going to look like over the next uh, three to five years and also you know really think and look over the horizon uh, using foresight tools to uh, uh, consider what are going to be those new and emerging issues coming up that Congress will be interested in and, and sure enough in our uh, last strategic plan we developed about uh, four years ago we identified uh, artificial intelligence as one of those emerging issues. Uh, we talked about it in our trend papers. And, you know, here we are today talking about a, uh, a pretty important uh, body of work that GAO has just published uh, regarding artificial intelligence.
0: Taka, would you tell us more about your role as chief data scientist for GAO and its director of innovation lab science, technology assessment and analytics what can you tell us about the mission of the innovation lab and how does all of the work that
2: you do complement being a data scientist? Sure, happy to. And both Steve and I focus more on the forward-looking aspects of our accountability challenges. So as GAO's first chief data scientist, and I also have the privilege of leading our innovation lab, But uh, the idea here is really having a prospective understanding of a range of emerging capabilities, whether those are AI, blockchain, 5G, cloud services, and trying to figure out how might we ourselves adapt to those capabilities uh, to drive our mission, to drive our oversight capacity, but also trying to figure out how might we address some of these accountability challenges stemming from AI, blockchain, 5G, et cetera. So it's a, a unique dual-hatted role to uh, be help GAO to thrive in our next 100 year uh, as part of our second centennial.
1: Michael, yeah. If I could just add, you know, one of the reasons that um, my office, uh, you know, and and Taka's office teamed up on this, they're not only um, are we bringing the the foresight thinking uh, that my office does, but also uh, we're responsible for building partnerships, uh, both uh, internationally and uh, domestically with members of the wider accountability community in the uh, offices of Inspector General and the state and local auditors. And uh, the type of work we did here has a lot of uh, applicability to those communities. And we felt it was really important to uh, be able to work uh, across those communities.
0: So Taka, Steve, AI is a transformative technology holding substantial promise for improving government operations. For our purposes, I was hoping you could define for us what is artificial intelligence and what are some of the key characteristics of AI And perhaps you could highlight the three distinct
2: waves of its development. Yeah, great question. Uh, Part of our sort of ethos in creating this AI accountability framework is making sure that we don't get bogged down into sort of a definitional battle. And AI is one of those topics, right? So if you ask 10 data scientists how to define AI, we were likely will get 50 different answers. Um, so what we did in a framework is really point to the existing uh, definition that are codified in the fiscal year 2021 National Defense Authorization Act, which uh, sort of describes three, I think, broad general characteristics of AI. Um, and But more specifically, we want to align ourselves on the, you know, from a evolution perspective, where is AI sitting today? Um, this is where, as we were talking with DARPA as part of our initial exploratory conversation, I, I really uh, sort of was, uh, you know, the way that they described different waves of AI really resonated well with me. So the first wave really is talking about a an ex. Expert based, extra, expert driven, rules based approach um, to a lot of these solutions. So I think online tax preparation is a good, good example of that. Uh, in terms of a second wave, which is AIs of today, mostly machine learning driven. Uh, based heavily on statistical and mathematical techniques, but uh, really are trying to achieve a very scope-limited function, whether those are face recognition technology, whether those are some sort of loan adjudication programs, um, et cetera. Uh, In the third wave, which really is something that we are preparing ourselves for, are AI systems that are capable of basic reasoning and cognitive awareness. Uh, so for example, uh, even the toddlers are really good at sort of trying to figure out, given sparsity of information, how might they address certain problems. Right now, AI is not really capable of that abstract reasoning, but there's a lot of research happening. So we wanna make sure that we are able to account for some of the oversight challenges relative to not only the first wave, but the second wave of AI before increasing complexity uh, make an uh, organization like GAO playing catch up as we start dealing with a third wave of AI. So for us, sort of characterizing AI in those sort of evolutionary terms was much more beneficial than trying to figure out whose definition of AI uh, better fits our purpose.
0: You point out in the framework that federal guidance has focused on ensuring AI is responsible, equitable, traceable, reliable and governable, and that third-party assessments and audits are important to achieving these goals. However, AI systems pose unique challenges to, zo- to those oversights, to that kind of an oversight. I was hoping you'd spend a little time telling us about those challenges.
2: Yeah, happy to. Um, and funny enough, uh, the sort of guiding North Star for GAO's work oftentimes is based on generally accepted government auditing standards. And we have very similar type of sort of construct that government programs must be effective, efficient, equitable, economical, and ethical. Uh, so I think there's an established uh, precedent in terms of how we can view technology such as AI. But in terms of specific challenges, uh, let me just start with perhaps an easier aspect of how we might address this challenge, certainly around compliance. Are you uh, sort of violating, for example, 1964 Civil Rights Act? There are certainly concerns around privacy. Are you collecting information for the purpose in which you're trying to use this information and no more than that? Uh, and then there are really well-publicized potentials for disparate impacts. Are you, um, you know, promulgating stereotypes or are you disadvantaged certain type of social demographic class? Uh, so those I think are uh, you know fa- fairly self-evident uh, challenges when it comes to AI, uh, but those focus more on the deployment and development side of the conversation. Part of the reason we developed the accountability framework is making sure an oversight entity such as GAO we also have the capacity and the methodology to evaluate AI. So for example, you know when we talk about data and models, uh, do we need to actually collect those artifacts? And if we collect those artifacts, how might we review them, evaluate them in sort of a very computational and empirical way? Uh, so it really talks to not only challenges across the development and deployment of AI, But certainly from an oversight perspective, the kind of capacity and methodological issue that may also need to be addressed on case-by-case basis, and that's one of the reasons we laid out many of the audit procedure in the framework as well.
1: You know, and and what's interesting, Michael, um, building off what Taka said, you know, Taka mentioned uh, uh, the yellow book, uh, the the GAGA standards. Uh, We also often will hang our hat uh, at GAO on the uh, internal control standards known as the Green Book, uh, talking about how management needs to define and design and implement uh, an effective uh, control system but you know a lot of these uh, types of activities are uh, based on the assumption that you can easily see what it is you're trying to control or uh, you know create internal controls for or uh, what you are um, auditing against and you know one of the real challenges uh, uh, we we find with artificial intelligence is that so much of how it works is often um behind uh, a kind of algorithmic wall right it's not something that can easily be audited in the uh, traditional sense of of it's it's there and it's it's visible um so it's that uh a kind of black box uh, nature of uh, ai that uh, often can present uh, many challenges for the oversight community and that was you know one of the motivations for doing the work here
0: That's a great point you know as i was putting this together there are a number of things that, you, that the framework uh, identifies and one way it was built was on reviewing the literature, and, and it pointed out that the life cycle of A- A- AI system can involve several phases. Uh, you know, delving into as far as you could highlight some of those phases for me.
2: Sure, happy to. Um, and part of the challenge that we initially ran into, right, is there there are very different accountability concerns when it comes to, let's say, autonomous vehicle versus a computer vision algorithm versus perhaps some sort of benefit adjudication uh, models. Uh, so what we want to do is see whether we can identify common life cycle phases of AI that we can sort of have a common ground to start talking about various aspects of accountability challenges. So starting with design, this is really more about the problem definition. What are we ultimately looking to accomplish? And and then we move into the development phase, which really is that exploratory cycle where you identify the right data, you identify the right data science techniques or modeling techniques to apply. Um, You may have a, a certain amount of iteration going through that development cycle and until you sort of get to the right uh, sort of mixture of both performance, uh, but also making sure that the underlying data and outputs are uh, sort of minimizing the disparate impacts. And then we move into the deployment phase, which is much different than development. Because a lot of times developments are, can be done locally, um, but when it comes to deployment, we need to make sure that there's a scalability, there's a resiliency. Um, you know, I think there's a, a lot of conversations around adversarial artificial intelligence, and so this is where as part of the deployment methodology how are you hardening those uh, individual models as well as ecosystem of models and and, you know certainly from a scalability perspective how can you take advantage of uh, for example cloud infrastructure to enable that and then i think the one of the most important aspects of the uh, phases here is the continuous monitoring Just because you deploy it doesn't mean you're done. Models and data are quite prone to drift. So I think it's very important to have some sort of uh, mechanics in place to, uh, and I think the key word here is continuous, not just monitoring for once or once a year, but how can you do so frequently and be uh, adaptive to the evolving uh, changes in data and models, in infrastructure, in operations, so that the the overall solution is still consistent with the original design of the system, and I think it's those, um,
1: you know, bookends, Michael, of of the uh, life cycle, that uh, often don't always get the attention they need, especially when you're talking about design and um, really understanding the uh, the objectives that uh, the system is being built toward. And picking up on on what Taka said there at the end regarding the uh, monitoring, uh, another step that's really important is is assessing to what extent an AI system has uh, completed its task and, and needs to be retired from production or otherwise adapted because its operating environment has changed. So. All of those different components throughout the entire life cycle of the AI from conception to eventual retirement really are essential uh, as as uh, anyone looking at AI uh, considers it, but especially uh, folks trying to assure some accountability for these systems.
0: That's a good point, Steve. So I was wondering, when you and Talk and the teams were working on this framework and doing the research and engaging and how you came up with it and... What were some of the key technical and societal implications associated that you found with implementing an AI system?
2: Yeah, on the technical side, I think, is certainly the speed in which an AI model can ingest information. So any either explicit or implicit bias always have a much greater uh potential to get magnified through an AI-enabled solution. Uh, So this is where we, you know, one of the reasons we developed the AI accountability framework is making sure that the oversight is part of that conversation and not necessarily a sort of afterthought or even a retrospective audit that sometimes GAOs call upon to do so. Uh, So we want to make sure that we are addressing both the technical as well as some of the potential societal impacts. Uh, in sort of in tandem as the AI technologies themselves are evolving, and especially before the wave threes of AIs are becoming online, that the independent oversight entity have to have the capacity to be able to sort of credibly but also evidence-based way to evaluate these solutions. Well, and, and to uh, you know tie this back to our life cycle
1: um, discussion, uh, when we're thinking about some of these societal implications in the system, uh, it's really essential to have the right community of stakeholders present, um, especially during the, those design and development phases of the uh, AI lifecycle. Uh, and and the uh, you know stakeholders can be everyone from your you know data scientists and software developers uh, you know kind of working under the hood to build the system uh, to uh, users uh, to privacy and security experts to individuals who are going to be um, affected by the system. Uh, And as well, having the right mix of uh, uh, legal counsel and and folks uh, who are are skilled in civil liberties issues and and can advocate for those issues.
0: What what more can you tell me about what prompted the reason to create this framework?
2: Great question. Uh, To Steve's point, uh, in 2018, Steve and his team sort of identify AI as a transformative technology. And we're certainly starting to see that manifesting across various corners of the federal government. Uh, But when we sort of scan the horizon, uh, there are a lot of high level principles that are being developed, which I think is a great um, focus for data science. I think it's one of those uh, rare moments where ethical concerns are being asked to co-evolve with advancing technology as well. I think that's great. Uh, But most of these principles are at a very high level. Uh, The way that I sort of describe them, they're almost equating to thou shalt do no harm, which is a very laudable goal. But what does that mean relative to the day-to-day work of data scientists, program managers, and then senior leadership? Uh, So we saw a gap in that conversation. And really what we wanted to do is take take an attempt and really pushing those high-level principles down to key practices, key questions, and other procedures at a level that are common across most AI lifecycle development. Uh, I think there are more work that needs to be done, but our goal is really to uh, you know, since we're we're seeing some gaps in terms of the uh, sort of Evidence-driven verification approach to AI performance. Uh, and, and GAO certainly is in the business of trust but verify. Uh, we thought this is a, a really a needed uh, framework that GAO is very you know, well suited to develop. And frankly, from our perspective, the time for us to deal with AI accountability is not necessarily when we receive a congressional request. Right? We want to make sure that we are proactively thinking about the oversight challenges of capabilities such as AI, and then uh, you know, develop a framework such as this so that when we're actually asked to do those assessments, there is a blueprint that we can
1: follow. And it's also important as these you know these systems are are in the wild right now, they are um, being deployed, more are being developed. And as that happens, uh, as Taka said, it's inevitable that um, auditors, whether it's uh, you know IGs within the agencies, whether it's state and local auditors looking at systems at that level, or it's GAO looking at, at federal systems, auditors are going to be asked to evaluate and and look at how these systems performed. And uh, you know we needed to be ahead of that curve. The other thing too is is as agencies and other entities are, are building out these systems, it's useful for them to know. What kinds of questions auditors are going to be asking about these systems? and that is in the framework. Uh, so it's a great uh, you know beacon for uh, the folks uh, specifying, building and and running these systems to understand the types of questions uh, that the accountability community is going to be bringing to the table when looking at the systems.
0: I was wondering as a follow- up. Can you tell us how GAO went about developing the framework? Who from the outside participated in the development? And did any federal agencies contribute to the development of this framework?
2: The short answer is yes. Uh, we consider AI as a team sport. It's not just a responsibility of data scientists, certainly not just a responsibility of program managers. So when we started developing this framework, uh, our approach was to convene an expert panel. And we wanna make sure that there were diverse representation on this expert panel, not only from an entity perspective, we certainly have federal agency, we have state local partners, we certainly have oversight uh, organization joining us. We had academic institution, we have advocacy group, as well as nonprofit organization but also industry partners as well. Uh, so certainly the, the, the perspective being represented were diverse. But secondarily, we want to make sure that as we are convening this uh, expert panel, we have diversity across gender, and other social attributes so that when we're talking about disparate impact, the conversation is not abstract. Uh, so just to throw out a couple of data points here, uh, when we convened an expert panel, 60% of the panelists were women, uh, almost 40% of the panelists were minority. Uh, we had a number of research academic institutions represented. So I think this is an important part of the conversation in terms of this wasn't just developed in vacuum or in some sort of echo chamber. We really want to make sure that what we are advocating here is consistent with the current view, current best practices across the data science domain.
1: Yeah, Michael, I would just say, you know, when the um, Comptroller General convened that expert forum back in uh, September of 2020, uh, and we brought together all those experts, Taka mentioned from the federal government, space, from industry, academia, nonprofits. Uh, we explicitly asked them, what do third-party assessors need to know and think about uh, when they're going to look at AI systems? We were uh, very upfront with the idea that we are uh, trying to build an accountability model for AI. And I think there was great traction on that question because it was one that um, hadn't often been asked in, in the context of, Uh, There's going to be auditors in the field doing this work and evaluating these systems. What tools do we have to give them? What practices, what questions do they have to be armed with in order to do that work? And so that was a pretty powerful way to uh, uh, get input on this project.
0: What are the core principles that set the foundation of GAO's AI accountability framework? I'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and today I welcome Taka Ariga, Chief Data Scientist and Director of the Innovation Lab at GAO, and Steve Stanford, Managing Director of Strategic Planning and External Liaison at GAO. What we found out in, in recent years, both um, you know, foreign and domestic stakeholders have developed governance and auditing frameworks. And yeah, I was wondering what perhaps you could highlight aspects of those frameworks for implementing AI, did any of them specifically contribute to GAO's framework?
2: I think the answer is resounding yes. Uh, We certainly talked to our counterparts in the UK, in Singapore, and in Canada, and we highlighted some of those, uh, you know, their own framework in the, the accountability document as well. And, and they were very generous in sharing some of their, you know, success story, but certainly lessons learned in terms of how we might approach the question of accountability oversight. Uh, and then, as Steve mentioned before, you know, GAO doesn't operate in in vacuum in the world stage of of uh, you know audit institutions. Uh, so we have a lot of partnership, not only at the international level but also at the domestic level as well, that are keenly interested in this topic. And as part, you know, a part of our planning exercise, we, we certainly talked to a number of uh, international groups, uh, and as well as uh, our domestic counterparts as well. And then we also reached out to a number of, uh, I, I think, um, uh, groups such as Partnership for AI and Responsible AI Institute that are really pushing a boundary, um, just the mechanics of how do you manifest into accountable artificial intelligence. Steve, any more around Intelsite would you like to add? Yeah, well, um, we have
1: uh, auditing counterparts around the world, right? So GAO is the National Audit Office for the United States. Every country around the world has a, a similar entity. And um, some of them have taken a, a bite at this apple. Uh, for example, back in um, uh, late 2020, uh, the uh, National Audit Offices of uh, Norway, Finland, Germany, the Netherlands, and the UK uh put their heads together and worked on a white paper talking about some of the uh, issues around auditing algorithms and machine learning systems. And they acknowledged very clearly in that white paper that there is limited guidance today on on how to audit um, these systems. So for the public sector auditors out there, there was not a lot to go on. Um, and indeed, you know, if you look at some of the um, other other international principles that have evolved, um, for example, from uh, the OECD, uh, they put out um uh, guidance on, on that contains five principles. The fifth principle is accountability, but this, the specifics of how that all gets worked out, you know, are not there in detail. And that that's a great place for uh, GAO to pick up and say, well, we're going to put some of those details down on, on what accountability means. So I think you know both some of the things Taka talked about in terms of uh, work other countries have done directly, but also a lot of the questions they've teed up, um, it, it has been a, a kind of global collaboration on um, identifying these issues. And I think we've picked up where, where some of those questions remained and, and hopefully um, answered some of them with this project.
0: I was wondering if you folks could identify the four core principles that set the foundation for the AI accountability framework. And how did you come up with these principles? And more importantly, how do they complement one another?
2: Sure, Uh, with a lot of thoughts behind it. uh, One of the challenges that we encounter uh, as a sort of a byproduct of the expert panel itself was that discussion was so wide ranging how do we actually organize the input from close to 30 different experts talking about various perspectives, and how do we sort of organize that in a way that is logical and that can actually turn into a set of actionable practices for federal agencies and others to apply. Uh, So when we sort of start thinking about how do we distill the information, One of the very, I think, very logical two principles that we initially arrived at is certainly the notion around data and performance. You know, many of our current day sort of AI solutions are driven by machine learning. Uh, So those have a lot of nexus around the quality of the data, reliability of the data, and that will immediately impact the kind of performance, not only on the technical level, but certainly on the um, sort of societal disparate impact type of conversation as well. Uh, So I think that was relatively straightforward. But even within data and performance, we want to make sure that we make a delineation between data being used to develop individual machine learning model versus data being used to operationalize AI systems, which often are ecosystems of those uh, machine learning models. Similarly for performance, we want to make sure that individual components of an AI solution is evaluated consistent with performance at this uh, overall ecosystem level. Uh, And in many instances, some of those could be systems of systems themselves in terms of driving complex implementation. And so as a bookend to both data and performance, we want to make sure that there are a a level of um, verifiable set of governance practices in place. So those are in terms of not only the requirements that are being codified, on why the AI solution was being developed, uh, but also talks about roles and responsibilities. Uh, are there a diverse perspective, for example, you know, whether uh, legal input uh, or input from you know civil uh, liberty uh, advocates in terms of addressing potential risks around disparate impacts and whether those governance are being implemented not only at the system level, but whether those governance are uh, sort of pushed out at the organization level to reflect the value of the organization. Especially in the public sector, I think those values are codified in many of the the items that we already talked about, that federal government should be effective, efficient, equitable, economical, and ethical. And then on the monitoring piece, making sure that there are not only continuous monitoring of the performance of the AI solutions, but at a macro level, really look at you know are these AI systems still meeting uh, the design parameters that they were designed for, and if they're being scaled, are they being scaled appropriately and not haphazardly uh, to include you know other aspects that. May or may not uh, sort of drive the drift of underlying models and data. Yeah, I'm, I mean, th- this whole point about
1: monitoring it—it it, it came up earlier when we talked about the life cycle, and it's—it's it's, um, clearly forming one of the major components of our principles. And I think this is something that really merits attention when we're talking about AI systems. You know, One of the main benefits of AI, beside being able to um, tackle problems that are just hard for humans to do, either computationally or, or otherwise, is, is that it's bringing um, a level of automation to, to a, uh, a problem as well. And with that, always comes the temptation to uh, set it and forget it. Uh, but Really, with the the types of impacts uh, these systems can have, um especially depending on on what contexts they are uh, deployed in, setting it and forgetting it is 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 not going to be a uh, usually a a a good approach and and really felt that having some focus on that as one of the major principles was was essential as we built this out.
0: That's a good point, Steve. And, you know, it follows up to my next point because I want to talk about your governance. GAO identified key practices for establishing governance structures and processes at, as I understand it, at the organizational and systems level. Would you highlight some of the core practices agencies can use to manage, operate, and oversee the implementation of AI systems? And perhaps you could share with us an example of an AI governance structure.
2: Sure, happy to. Uh, so let me maybe give a rundown of some example of the elements that we would consider should be a part of a comprehensive governance structure. Certainly there are mission statements in which the AI system is trying to achieve. There are problem definitions, scope, and methodology. We expect to see goals and objectives, whether there are specific milestone and performance measures that are being codified. Uh, But beyond that, certainly, what kind of resources and investments are required to actually achieve those goals and objectives? Organizational roles, uh, you know, who is responsible for what and what authority are they being delegated to achieve those goals and objectives? And whether there are external factors that could either accelerate or uh, preventing achievement of the, those goals and objectives. And then the last three, I'll just highlight our ethical value. You know, is the workforce actually ready to not only scope in AI capabilities, but consume the output from AI? And then whether there are risks inherent to development, uh, deployment, and sustainment of AI system. Uh, relative to an example, I think many organizations are now starting to appoint. Uh, roles such as the ethics officer relative to uh, the development of of their AI and deployment of the AI solution. I think Jake is a good example of that. Uh, Something that we put in our practice is making sure that those uh, ethics officers actually have the power delegated to them uh, to ask those hard questions and be able to sort of impact the direction of the development so that they're not just uh, there to provide, for example, optional input, uh, but programmers and data scientists will do whatever they want to do anyway. Uh, So I I think that is a good example uh, from a a sort of a a governance perspective in that having an ethical perspective is very interesting and very important, but are those perspectives being sort of integrated in a way that carries the weight behind um, uh, the vision of of, of integrating ethics into our AI implementation.
1: And Michael, uh, I I just, I wanted to underscore quickly uh, three of those key practices at the the organizational level when we're talking about governance. And, And I think they, again, these are areas that really need a lot of attention. Um, Taka mentioned uh, the workforce and, you know, having a workforce in place uh, as part of the governance system, um, you have to be able to recruit and develop and retain uh, people who have the multidisciplinary skills needed for every part of that AI lifecycle we talked about, whether it's the design and development, whether it's deploying and managing the system, or whether it's at the back end on on the monitoring. So the workforce component of governance really um, needs to be carefully considered. Related to that, uh, we talked about it before, uh, but stakeholders, you know, having the right stakeholders at the table as part of that governance, uh, again, through every piece of the AI lifecycle. And then finally, how um, uh, this plays into risk management, right? The governance system needs to look at AI-specific uh, risk management uh, issues uh, so that the any risks uh, associated with the AI system are appropriately identified, analyzed, and, and uh, mitigated.
0: So in your AI accountability framework, you identify key practices to ensure data are of high quality, reliable, and representative. What are some of the key practices agencies can follow on how to treat data from model development to systems operations?
2: Yeah, data is these days are considered like another form of oil. And there's a lot of talk about at the federal level in terms of federal data strategy. How do we make uh, data available uh, so that researcher and general public can access to develop uh, and, and better understand trends and patterns, right? So uh relative to AI solution, I think data is absolutely imperative. Uh, you know, we try to go a step further. Uh, availability of data is necessary, but in of itself is insufficient. So, how do we actually answer the question of whether the data that we're being being used to train machine learning models are in fact complete? And accurate, uh, Fairly intuitive question, oftentimes very difficult to answer. Uh, so that will impact not just individual components of AI, but once you start feeding in operational data stream into the AI system itself, we need to make sure that, you know, not only training and validation model is consistent, um, uh, with the operational data stream being fed into the system, but also how adaptive are those AI solutions in following the drift in data? Uh, you know, social demographics can change rapidly, and so that there needs to be sort of constant monitoring relative not only the performance metrics of those models, uh, but in making sure that, you know, elements of sort of biases are not being introduced, whether through labeling whether it is through some interpretation. Um, and so I think that, that those are sort of important consideration when it comes to data. The one aspect I'll just add, one of the consensus is around the expert panel conversation, it's just how fragile current crops pro- uh, of machine learning models can be. And so this is where the conversation of adversarial AI comes into play. Is very, relatively speaking, easy to fool a computer vision algorithm that a cat is, in fact, a panda. Uh, So there are a number of well-documented examples of that. Uh, So are there processes, are there procedures in place to harden uh, the integrity of the data and make sure that those are not easily subjected to manipulations, um, either intentionally or unintentionally. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, adversarial AI is still relatively in the research arena when it comes to, uh, you know, remediation, but we, we at least want to highlight those potential risks in terms of use of data in artificial intelligence systems.
1: Yeah. I, I think here the, um, the data practices, we talk about how data is used both to build the model, build the AI system itself, and then also how data is used once the system is up and running. So there's kind of like two phases to, to AI and how how data uh, relates to it. And this is also where all those issues around um, uh, potential bias in the data and um, uh, to what extent the, the data is representative of the populations that'll system will eventually be used uh to serve or or uh to analyze right so there's there's in, in a, the ai world there's training data and then there's there's actual data that the system uses uh, to do what it's been asked to do um, the, the other thing i'll just add about our, our practices here in data uh, is that i mean tak is a data scientist and and he speaks the language of data and he can talk to other data scientists in, in that language uh, but you know, for the rest of us, um, sometimes we don't have that lexicon. What I really love about uh, how this was laid out in the framework is uh, we've used plain language to talk about data, to outline some of the questions that should be asked to data scientists. And I think it gives uh, folks who aren't necessarily domain experts in this uh, a leg up on Having some of that vocabulary and, and uh, basic understanding of the questions to ask the domain experts, because that's really where the accountability comes into play, right? You have to have um, that kind of conversation happening with uh, the, the domain experts and and the, uh, the folks who are charged with uh, assessing and, and, and driving accountability for these systems.
0: Yeah, and I was wondering, you know, uh, how can those charged with oversight of AI use performance assessment, to improve performance and operations, possibly reduce costs, facilitate decision-making, and, and more importantly, what are some of the key practices that fall under the principle of performance?
2: Yeah, just to build on what Steve mentioned, I can talk about R-value, P-value, you know, confidence, accuracy, precision recall all day long. Uh, and I think th- those are certainly Uh, important measures that many data scientists are trained to understand just from a technical point of view is your solution actually predicting a desirable outcome. Uh, but from a performance perspective is, is certainly broader than that, we, we sort of briefly touch on, you know, whether that performance is actually in service of the key uh, goals and objective in which the, the AI solution is meant to set up. Uh, but more broadly, there are certainly, uh, you know, other impacts around performance as well, not just the model themselves. So for example, uh, if your AI solution was developed on a set of infrastructure uh, and configuration, and then you have to migrate those AI solution to another set of infrastructure configuration. Is that that is the performance is still consistent with what we would expect? Um, and are there sort of uh, tweaks and parameter adjustments that are needed, not only at the model level, but also at the deployment level to make sure that those performance are still consistent within goals and objectives laid out in the governance section. Uh, so it, it's um, there's certainly a micro level consideration on individual sort of a statistical mathematical qualities of those machine learning, but at a macro level, uh, infrastructural um, and sort of a deployment consideration, and even from an oversight perspective, right? Uh, is our goal to try to replicate the results of the models and data that we collect, uh, or is there a reasonableness that we can apply in validating the performance of um, the AI solution that we're looking to evaluate?
1: And this really is, uh, Michael, where the, the rubber hits the road with is the system doing what it was designed to do? right? And and asking those tough questions about what are the performance metrics that would enable uh, managers of these systems um, and those providing oversight to to assess that properly. And again, without having that uh, well-defined, without having those uh, metrics well-established, there's gonna be no way to assess whether the system is, is performing as intended.
0: The next area, Steve and Taka that I want to talk about is the other principle you bring up. It's part of the framework and that's the monitoring of a framework. What are some of the key practices that fall under this principle of monitoring? And are there any essential questions to consider when establishing a monitoring framework?
2: So this is a good example of a double-edged sword. Uh, So to what Steve has previously talked about, AI absolutely shouldn't be set it and forget it. Uh, There are a lot of fragility that requires constant monitoring. So the key question here is continuous monitoring and and, uh, whether that is a real time, whether that's near real time, whether that is frequently, uh, those are perhaps more use case and application specific. But part of the double-edged sword here is also from a oversight entity perspective right? Uh, are we only going to make these assessments one time the event? Or do we also have to frequently come in and provide these independent assessment, in addition to what the management are, you know, is perhaps implementing themselves. So it does call on these questions, so that as the audit engagement themselves are being scoped and designed and defined, uh, what are some of the key practices relative to monitoring for agencies such as GAO to consider, on how frequently do we go back in to evaluate these solutions. Uh, And and certainly there are a number of draft legislation floating out there that talks to this particular point. Um, It doesn't get down to the level of prescribing how frequently organizations should be considering continuous monitoring, Uh, but I think the consistency there is that it should be more than once.
0: What are some of the factors to consider when auditing AI systems? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour.
3: How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the C-STAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security, in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download A Practitioner's Framework for Measuring Results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today.
0: Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and today I welcome Taka Arriga, Chief Data Scientist and Director of the Innovation Lab at GAO, and Steve Stanford, Managing Director of Strategic Planning and External Liaison at GAO. Well, Taka and Steve, you did a wonderful job of explaining the foundations of the AI accountability framework. Um, I'd like to switch gears a bit and talk about, maybe highlight some of the factors to consider when auditing an AI system, are there internal controls that can be applied to managing and operating AI systems?
2: There certainly are. Um, One of the key nuances of AI is that a lot of the outputs coming out of AI is probabilistic. As opposed to binary. very, you know rarely would you come across an AI system that essentially generate a yes or no black and white type of answers. A lot of time is depending on you know more likely than not what might be you know a cat might be a cat or a cat might be a panda. Um So from an internal control perspective, we certainly adapted many sort of uh, principles from our green book to talk about uh, areas of reasonableness, areas of completeness. Uh, so it's not necessarily trying to be prescriptive to say your governance structure must include X number of points, uh, you know, X number of paragraph per se, but we're really to, looking to apply that sort of professional judgment to say, have you codified your requirements with sufficient level of detail that either a technical subject matter expert or a lay person could interpret and interpret consistently. Uh, So those are some of the key factors to consider when it comes to uh, auditing AI system, I think documentation is alt, uh, paramount. Uh, so whether that's a model card, whether that's data card, or some other uh, you know policy documents uh, or you know technical evaluation documents, I think you know from a, a control perspective, we just want to make sure that not only the rationale but the key results are documented uh, continually, so that uh, those control can be evaluated by a third party, but also uh, compare and contrast across the continuous monitoring cycle as well.
0: Yeah, you point out in your framework that according to the experts, what control activities can be applied to ensure accountability over AI systems in the public sector?
2: So I think documentation is, again, a key. And really, in our accountability framework, we're not saying you shouldn't do you know certain activity. We've never tried to be prescriptive like that. Knowing that different use case have very different considerations. Uh, but what we want to see is a deliberate thought process behind whether a certain data variable, even if it includes PII information, that those selections were done deliberately. Uh, whether there's, for example, a data retention policy, is that consistent with the privacy uh, you know, laws and regulations out there? Uh, whether those models are being selected appropriately and they can be evaluated transparently, as opposed to, you know, oftentimes relying on a commercial solution where there may be certain intellectual property constraints, in which case we will then look to whether audit rights exist in those procurement documents. And then, you know, how do we know AI is actually succeeding in meeting those uh, uh, goals and objectives? Are there key measures that we can evaluate? Uh, So those are the kind of control activity, I think, will be helpful to a third party uh, uh, entity such as GAO and the IG offices. And back to Steve's point, uh, those measures don't always have to be quantitative. Oftentimes they can be qualitative, but they should be consistent. They should be uh, sort of uh, comparable uh, over time. And and they should be sustainable a, a, and, and be implemented as part of the AI deployment process. So it's not just focusing on the development deployment, um, but make sure that there's a um, there's an ongoing refinement and adjustment to the governance as well as the continuous monitoring activities as well.
1: And I think the uh, you know this frame sorry this this approach of looking at it through a, a controls lens, um, especially internal controls, it takes us from that space uh, of thinking about AI principles and and just the theory of it, and moving more toward actual governance structures, actual practices in the real world that um, can uh, drive accountability for the systems and, and that really is what internal controls are all about is is um you know managing these systems in the real world.
0: That's an excellent point, Steve. Yeah. I, speaking of the real world, I was wondering what are the experts saying about the types of risk and challenges existing in applying AI systems in the public sector. Could you perhaps give us a, an overview of that?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think the responsibility for public sector entities to get AI right, it's so profound um, that there are a lot of considerations around you know, not only performance, but privacy and, and disparate impacts that we, we, we've been talking about. Uh, one of the, I think, key challenges here is the notion of delegating inherently governmental function. In other words, are humans still in charge of the AI decisions? Uh, Are we just saying, well, you know, this particular AI solution says, you know, Bob or Susie was actually committing uh, fraudulent activities, but we don't know how to describe our outputs or our rationale in reaching those outputs. I think there's going to be problems around that type of AI implementation. Uh, We just want to make sure that, you know, AI is being used to augment the mission uh, and and functions of government, not necessarily supplanting. So how do we continually keep human in the loop as far as the lifecycle of AI development is concerned? Uh, so that touches on again privacy, you know that sort of touches on black box. you know when it, when an AI solution is being procured, are there a way for us to evaluate maybe not within the box, but how do we evaluate input and output? And then you know from an output evaluation perspective, are there a risk of you know promulgating disparate impacts uh, in, in terms of how we are thinking about uh, the, the evaluation of those systems.
1: A lot of times, uh, Michael, where anything government does, uh, but especially if we think about some of the applications of uh, machine learning and and algorithms, the stakes can be really high, right? We're not talking about an algorithm that's recommending movies to us uh, as as we're looking at our tablets. Uh, We're talking about issues around bias and fairness that can impact uh, the criminal justice uh, process or um, safety of life. Or the regulation of, uh, of financial markets and things like that, right? So the stakes can be really high in the public sector space, and um, you know, knowing knowing that and being aware of that is really important when um, trying to think about how to assure accountability for for systems in this context. And I think that's why we uh, took the approach we did in the framework of. of, of being so detailed in a lot of it because the stakes can be quite high.
0: Yeah. I have one last question, gentlemen, uh, both Taka and Steve, and I I was remiss in not putting it in our question set, but um, you put out the AI accountability framework. What's next for you when this is released? What happens next? Do you check on how it's being used? What's the future hold? What happens next?
3: Yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, our immediate focus is making sure that uh, GAO's mission team are understanding what the AI accountability framework itself is aimed to achieve. And as they receive congressional requests, which there are a number of them that our mission teams are addressing relative to assessment of AI, that they know how to apply this framework. And we are similarly receiving inquiry from IG offices, our international partners as well. Uh, So I think you know those are all great progress, uh, but we certainly view the accountability framework as just the down payment. Uh, you know we talked about we are only at wave two of AI. We talked about we we're only putting uh, these uh, practices questions and audit uh, procedure at sort of a common uh, life cycle development you know phases of AI. But certainly, I think the next frontier is to take the framework further down. Uh, to sort of a ground level in terms of, are there differences in terms of how we evaluate data and performance relative to, let's say, a benefits adjudication versus a cancer detection versus some sort of a HR, you know, candidate screening mechanism or autonomous vehicle or forensic algorithm, et cetera. Um, So, you know, that level of nuances, I think it's important as we continue with a variety of evaluations of AI, not only within GAO, but across uh, the oversight community as well. Uh, so we view this as you know version 1.0 of perhaps many more versions to come in the near future.
0: That's a wonderful way to end, uh, Taka and Steve. But I was wondering, how can uh, someone get a uh, copy of the framework?
2: Uh, Google, <laughs> uh, GAO AI accountability framework, it should be the first results in that, uh, but certainly the, the report as well as the highlights, and uh, we actually put together a video uh, talking with some of our expert panelists uh, in, in uh, GAO website at GAO.gov. Uh, and so this is where you can get access not only to the full report as well, but if you just want a primer version of it, here's the highlights, we haven't uh, made it available on our site. Um, so that that will be uh, an area where you can, uh, I think your audience can access. But certainly uh, a lot of this uh, conversation also is being promulgated at, you know, organizations like OECDs and, and a Partnership for AI and other organizations as well. So I would encourage folks to not only Read through the framework, but understanding other activities that are currently being done, whether it's Jake, whether it's NIST, whether it's other organization, so that you know we're not trying to put this framework as an all-be-all all of AI oversight. It is one significant voice in that conversation that we can, we intend to evolve, uh, but in collaboration with the rest of the government.
1: Yeah, and 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 this this product is is. Not just for auditors. Uh, you know, that is a big piece of what we did, but there's a lot of value to be gained for folks outside the um, uh, audit profession to look at this and think about how they are um, uh, designing, planning for, procuring, and and, and ultimately managing and monitoring these systems. So it's uh, publicly available on the website, as, as Taka mentioned, and um, really uh, encourage folks to uh, check it out.
0: The Taka and Steve, today's conversation, I got to tell you, terrific insights and and really timely advice uh, today. I want to thank you for joining me today, but more importantly, both you, Taka and Steve, thank you for your dedicated service to the country.
2: Thank you for having us. Thanks, Michael. It's been a pleasure.
0: This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Taka Uriga, Chief Data Scientist and Director of the Innovation Lab at GAO, and Steve Sanford, Managing Director of Strategic Planning and External Liaison at GAO. Be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One iTunes or on your favorite podcast app. And as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us.
3: How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Ang, presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.
2: WFED
0: Washington, WTOP FM HD2 Washington, W283 DG Sterling, WTLP FM HD2 Braddock Heights Frederick. Federal News Network is the news organization of record for the federal community. We are nonpartisan, nonpolitical, and our job is to help federal government and contracting executives make informed decisions. We inform federal managers, contractors, and policymakers on issues related to the federal workforce, management, and acquisition, pay benefits in retirement, the Defense Department, and federal IT. Portions pre-recorded. Nights and weekends, we air Washington Nationals, Capitals, and Wizards, and the Navy Midshipmen. We are the Washington, D.C. home of Navy athletics. Download the Federal News Network app on the App Store or Google Play Store. Play Federal News Network on Alexa. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Federal News Network. Our mission is helping you
2: meet your mission.